Welcome to the All Souls Episcopal Parish in Berkeley's Sermon Podcast. Today is the 22nd Sunday after Pentecost. This morning we hear a sermon written by Nydia McGregor, but read by Nat Lewis, as Nydia was not able to be here this morning. The passage she wrote her sermon from was from the lectionary, which this morning was Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 to 46. As always, you can find more sermons or information about All Souls on our homepage, which is allsoulsparish.org. I'm not a doctor, but I'm playing one in church today. Uh, I'm Nat Lewis. Uh, Nydia couldn't be here, so I'm her understudy. It's a, it's a peculiar feeling stepping behind this lectern, a cocktail of anxiety, anticipation, and hope bubbling up and threatening to overspill. My task this morning seems simple enough, offer thoughts on this week's readings in ordinary time, the 22nd Sunday after Pentecost. But the anxiety kicks in as I contemplate doing that while saying something meaningful and not cliche about stewardship as we close out this stewardship season. In combination, that's a, f- that's a very fine eye of the needle to thread for the untrained. We're going to give it a go. The gospel reading this morning is a favorite, as the punchline is so often quoted. The writer of Matthew's gospel continues a scene in the temple where the Pharisees are playing stump the chump with Jesus. The setup is clear enough to anyone who has had to speak in front of high-status individuals who who nevertheless feel threatened. In short, the Pharisees, specifically in this case a lawyer, cross-examines Jesus with tough questions designed to trip him up with the goal of undermining his credibility. Jesus' response, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind is familiar and non-controversial. This is essentially the first of the Ten Commandments and would have been widely accepted. While I don't know what the Pharisees were expecting, Jesus certainly didn't stumble as they'd hoped. In an unexpected plot twist, however, Jesus doesn't stop there. Our lawyer doesn't ask a follow-up question. Without further nudging, Jesus extends his first answer, providing a second greatest commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And just to make certain everyone is paying attention, he ends by emphasizing how these two are inseparable. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. These love commandments ground Christians as they move through the world. This love is not unidirectional, love for one another, God's love for us, the will of a loving God that brought all things into being. This love flows in many directions. We can imagine it as a serpentine river with creeks and tributaries crisscrossing the land and all fat with the flow of love. Moreover, as a mandate for us, it's pretty simple. Love God and your neighbor. I'm going to say it again. 
The statement is simple. The sentiments are simple. Love God and your neighbor. And time and again, we humans demonstrate that what is simple is not always easy to execute. I can pause here for less than two seconds and everyone will be able to think of a situation where trying to love your neighbor has failed wildly, proven difficult, or even dangerous. You got an example, right? The list is long, everything from geopolitical neighbors who cannot love one another to friends who allow a difference of opinion ruin a friendship. With only a bit of irony, simply loving our neighbors stumps us. Which is perhaps why this gospel is accompanied by the passage from Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. For today's lesson has something to say about facing the challenge of actually loving our neighbors as ourselves. To quickly set the stage, Paul's letter was written from Corinth after Timothy returned from Thessalonia to report that the newly founded congregation held and that the congregants had stood fast despite persecution. In full disclosure, I never really know what to make of Paul's letters. As others have observed, when I read one of Paul's letters, I feel like I'm reading someone else's mail, trying to make sense, trying to make sense of a letter that wasn't really meant for me. When something is unclear, I wonder if there's an inside joke or gossipy backstory that I'm not privy to. In any case, in today's passage, once we move through Paul's insistence on the purity of his, Silas, and Timothy's actions, an emphasis on the evidence of God's hand in their message, I'm struck by the final sentence. Here it is. But we were gentle among you like a nurse tenderly caring for her own children. So do we care for you? So do we care for you that we are determined to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also ourselves, because you have become very dear to us. There are two informative and useful pieces here. First, the image of a mother's care and concern for her children, and in particular, that care that comes from a nursing parent's attention to an infant child, a child who is most vulnerable precious, and most in need of, well, everything. This image suggests care that is simply generous and accepting, even while it is hard work. Second, in that same phrase, the verb determined expresses the explicit intention to share their lives with the members of the congregation in Thessalonia, above and beyond the task of proclaiming the gospel. This is a choice to move beyond what could be a transactional relationship into one that is rich, generous, and personal. These people show up for each other. So how do we go about the hard work of loving God and each other? With explicit intention to show up and to offer generous attention to one another. In the book Braiding Sweetgrass, Robin Wall Kimmerer shares her reflections and stories meant to heal our relationship with the earth. Her essays mingle indigenous wisdom with her scientific knowledge as a botanist 
and her personal experiences as a Native American scientist and professor. One of the early essays in the book is entitled An Offering, and in it, she describes a practice that her family observed in the early mornings as they spoke in a campsite in the Adiron as they woke in a campsite in the Adirondacks. Her father would lift the coffee pot from the Coleman stove and pause. The family too paused. Standing at the edge of the camp with the coffee pot in his hands, he would pour coffee out on the ground in a thick brown stream. With his face turned to the morning sun as he poured, he would say, here's to the gods of Tahawas, acknowledging the highest peak in the Adirondacks. As a young person, Wal Kimmerer understood this to be a practice idiosyncratic to her family. She also felt it to be a moment of gratitude every morning. The words and the coffee called them to remember the gifts of the mountains, the woods, and the lakes. Now, with the clarity that adulthood sometimes brings, she tells us that intentional practice or ceremony, whether large and small, has the power to focus attention. For her, these intentions were a vehicle for belonging to a family, to people, and to a land. Additionally, she sees the power of intentional practice to marry the mundane to the sacred. She says, the water turns to wine, the coffee to a prayer, the material and the spiritual mingle, formed like steam rising from a mug in the morning mist. Love is our base function, anchoring us to God and each other. This is hard work and necessitates explicit attention to show an intention to show up and offer generous attention for one another. Small intentional practices, moments of gratitude or joy, have the possibility of mingling the material and the spiritual. I imagine not unlike those Christians in Thessalonia, intentional practices in sharing ourselves may range from arriving at the corner of Cedar and Spruce each Sunday, uh, to attending a church potluck, to just making sure to introduce yourself to someone you don't know. It requires attention and some care. Certainly another intentional way to generously share your life is to pledge in whatever way is meaningful for you. This is an expression of love for your neighbor, gratitude, and as a regular practice offers the possibility of joining the mundane to the sacred. So I invite you to, with love and generosity and intentionality, care for one another and share your lives with gratitude and joy.